Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hi, I'm Dr. Sabrina Steerwald, and I'm Everyday Einstein, bringing you quick and dirty tips to help you make sense of science. About 70% of the surface of our planet Earth is covered in water. We are nestled in our solar system at just the right distance from the sun for this liquid water to exist. Any farther, and that water would be frozen in ice. Any closer, and temperatures would be too hot, and we would be at risk for a runaway greenhouse effect similar to what's happening on the scorching surface of Venus. Our not-too-cold, not-too-hot position in the so-called Goldilocks zone is a pretty good thing because, of course, water is necessary for life. But how did that water get here? Water is a defining characteristic of our planet, and it plays such an important part of our daily lives. Understanding how water arrived on Earth is a key part of understanding how and when life evolved here as well. But we don't even know where it came from. Scientists are still actively researching how our planet got to be so wet in the first place. Our current picture of planet formation starts with a protoplanetary disk. That's a large disk of gas and dust swirling around our newly formed sun. As the grains of dust and ice in the disk interact with themselves, those grains begin to form bigger and bigger clumps. Eventually, those clumps form what we call planetesimals, the building blocks of rocky and giant planets. But in the early period of our solar system's formation... That disk was much hotter at the position where our Earth sits now, so even though there were most likely water molecules present in that mess of debris that made up the disk, it was too hot for water to condense into a liquid, causing water instead to evaporate. What's more, the early Earth did not yet have an atmosphere, making it easier for any liquid water droplets to be blown off into space. This leaves us with a bit of a puzzle. If the Earth could not have formed from the disk, with its oceans already intact, how did they get there? If Earth's water wasn't formed along with the Earth, then planetary scientists suspect it must have been delivered later via extraterrestrial messenger. Both asteroids and comets visit the Earth, and are known to harbor ice. Not sure of the difference between an asteroid and a comet? Check out my earlier episode on that topic. In fact, models of the compositions of asteroids and comets suggest that they even harbor enough ice to have delivered an Earth's ocean's amount of water. So, problem solved. Not quite. Was it a comet or an asteroid that brought Earth's water? Was it a single event or many? And how long ago did this happen? One way to determine whether an asteroid or a comet brought us our oceans is to look at the chemical makeup of these cosmic objects and compare that makeup to the Earth to see which are more alike. For example, a water molecule always has 10 protons, 8 from its oxygen molecule and 1 each from its hydrogen molecules, and usually has 8 neutrons from the oxygen molecule only. But different isotopes of water may have extra neutrons, 
Heavy water, for example, is what we call water made from oxygen and deuterium, which is an isotope of hydrogen, or just hydrogen with an added neutron. One study published in the journal Science in 2014 looked at the relative amounts of different isotopes of water, so water molecules with varying numbers of neutrons, on meteorites believed to have fallen to Earth from the ancient asteroid Vesta. Vesta is the second largest object in the asteroid belt and has a heavily cratered surface, suggesting a violent past full of collisions. The Vesta rock samples had the same distribution of isotopes as what we see on Earth. Now, that doesn't mean that Vesta was necessarily the source of our water, but that an object or objects similar to Vesta in age and in composition could be responsible. But the dispute is far from settled. For a while, studies of comets seemed to back up the idea that Earth's water came from asteroids. The recent Rosetta spacecraft was the first to orbit a comet, and then also the first to send a lander, called Philae, to the comet's surface. Thanks to Rosetta and Philae, scientists discovered that the ratio of heavy water, remember that's water made from deuterium, to regular water, made from regular old hydrogen, on comets was different than that on Earth suggesting at most 10% of Earth's water could have originated on a comet. However, in 2018, a close passage of the comet 46P Wirtanen allowed planetary scientists a more detailed look at this comet's isotopic makeup using SOFIA, a jumbo jet with a telescope on board. Very cool. They found the comet had similar ratios of deuterium and hydrogen as to those found on Earth. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. So what makes this comet different from the one studied by Rosetta and Philae? Well, comet 46P Wirtanen comes from a class of what are known as hyperactive comets, meaning they release more water as they draw closer to the sun than a regular comet. How do they do that? Well, as a standard comet nears the heat of the sun, the ice particles from its nucleus sublimate or go directly from solid ice to a gas which can then condense later into liquid water, if it were, say, to arrive on a planet's surface. But a hyperactive comet loses not only the ice from its nucleus, but also ice-rich particles in its atmosphere that were previously heated and released from the nucleus but still hang around. Those icy particles may be what makes hyperactive comets have isotope ratios more similar to those that we see on Earth. So even though hyperactive comets are rarer, the fact that they have similar isotope budgets to those seen on Earth put them back in the running for being Earth's cosmic water bearer. Even further dispute centers on when this water arrived. In the Vesta study, scientists found the asteroid samples also had the same isotopic fingerprint as carbonaceous chondrites. These are very primitive meteorites from among the earliest time in our solar system's history. That similarity challenged the idea that water had to have arrived via a major collision hundreds of millions of years after the Earth's initial formation, and instead, it may have come far earlier, say in the range of 14 million years. 
However, other evidence recently published in the journal Nature suggests that the arrival of water on Earth may have resulted from the same event that gives us our ever-loyal companion in space, the moon, and thus happened much later in our solar system's history. According to the USGS, that's the United States Geological Survey, or the group of scientists that study the Earth's environment and our resources, if you gathered all of the Earth's water together, the bubble would be around 860 miles across, or about 1,385 kilometers. And that unit conversion is especially for Australian listener Daniel Basley, who wrote in with a request that I include metric system measurements for those not stuck with the U.S. system of inches, feet, and miles. But that's all the water, including salt water in the oceans and fresh water that's so deep in the ground that it's inaccessible to us. The bubble holding all of the fresh water in lakes and rivers, the stuff we use every day, has a diameter of only 35 miles, or about 56 kilometers. That's it. That's all we've got. So let's do what we can to protect and conserve this incredibly important resource. Until next time, this is Sabrina Steerwalt with Everyday Einstein's quick and dirty tips for helping you make sense of science. You can become a fan of Everyday Einstein on Facebook or follow me on Twitter where I'm at QDT Einstein. If you have a question that you'd like to see on a future episode, send me an email at everydayeinstein at quickanddirtytips.com.